I would rather the headline had said local lunatic as opposed to Gloucester man, but at least I have it in print that I'm actually a man now. Fantastic. You, you know you've made it when you are Gloucester man. <laughs> Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! Uh, why do I have a cake, Richard? Ah, well it's a celebration, is it not, Andy? A fantastic, world brilliant, international news uh, celebration. Technically it is uh, international news, In yeah. Intergalactic news, no less. Uh, no, because it's only in our galaxy. Okay. Intergalactic implies there's another galaxy involved. Intra. Intra. Intragalactic. Intragalactic interplanetary. Fantastic. That is the level of news, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Andy does have a cake. What does it say on the cake, Andy? It's... Uh... I bought this for Andy uh, from the local Asda. It was very difficult to get this specific cake, but it was available. It says, well done, Andy, for getting your moon name recommendations accepted by the IAU. The IAU standing for International Astronomical Union. And the moon names I submitted were for naming two moons of Jupiter. And I have actually been able to name two moons of Jupiter. Hey! Hey! In the, um, the podcast prep, we, were, we said, well, we should get party blowers. And then we haven't. Oh, balls. <laughs> so, so that's the level of uh, celebration. But uh, yeah, no, it took me a while to find that cake. I mean, there's loads of well done Gavin for getting your uh, moon name recognised or well done Kieran. Uh, just, they, they got one Andy left. So. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, I, and I really appreciate the Pikachu on it as well. <laughs> so, some people might say it's a Pikachu cake I've put icing on, but they're liars, Andy. Complete liars. Um, but no, seriously, well done. Thank you very much. Uh, so, th for those of you who haven't heard, you know, been under a rock for a week or two. Those who are unsubscribed to the channel. Yes, that's it. No, you. So you've you've genuinely named a moon. Uh, genuinely named two moons. I share credit with one of them, and I have full credit of another. Yes. What What are the moons then? The moons are Philofrosony and Euphemy. And these are both younger charities, the granddaughter of Zeus. And I think their parents are Hera. In fact, let me look this up. I know you've done a video on this, but for the people who refuse to watch your videos, can you, what do you mean a younger charity? So there's lots of different kind of groups of spirits that are like, not demigods, but they're still spiritual and above mortal level, but not quite God tier. You've got Ares, God of War for example, uh, but a younger charity would be like an offspring of Zeus. Okay, so they're like between a mortal yeah. and a demigod, right. That's so, it, so. Does that count for normal charities? So like the Red Cross or the National Trust, <laughs> they, are, they are actually demigods. They're the older charities. Yeah. The, the younger charities are the ones that just started up recently, like a foundation for someone. Um, why did you choose to name it after uh, gods? Well, it's because you're kind of painted into a corner when you're naming moons. There are strict rules that you have to adhere to. So they have to be, in the case of Jupiter, because every moon, every planet has their own kind of nomenclature rules. In the case of Jupiter, 
Yeah, the moons have to be named after lovers or descendants of either Zeus or Jupiter. So they come from Greek and Roman mythology. And because these moons are smaller moons and they're a bit out, uh, like they're, they're not massive planetary sized moons like Io and Ganymede, they're kind of like lesser, not irregular moons, but they're smaller moons. If they are in a prograde orbit, prograde meaning that they're orbiting in the same direction as the rotation of the parent planet, our moon is in a prograde direction because it's orbiting in the same direction as the Earth's spin, whereas retrograde, it's orbiting in the opposite direction to the planet's spin. So if you've got a prograde moon of Jupiter, the name has to end in A, and if it's a retrograde moon, the name has to end in E. So you're already kind of like limited. Yeah, and so the, these are the rules that are set by the IAU. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have to work within them. And not only that, the name cannot have been taken already. And there's a load of asteroids that are named after um, lovers or descendants of Jupiter. And these the people who discovered them were just like, oh, we'll name it Selene. Great name. Like, uh, but <laughs> that, that would have been a great name for a moon. And now it's <laughs> taken on this poxy asteroid. Right, okay. So, um, firstly, yeah, I think you've had a lot of comments online and uh, about naming Moon. Why don't you call it Moony Moonface? Oh, so many comments. That's hilarious. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but so that, that firstly answers that question, why can't you call it that? Yes, exactly. Um, so it does sound to be, though, that the IAU have kind of turned around and said, you can call this Moon anything you like as long as it's this name. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can call your child anything you like, but as long as it's Kevin. Um, well, <laughs> how, many, how many names were there that you could actually choose from? So there were quite a lot because Zeus was a very friendly god and spent a lot of time with ladies on Earth. So there's, there's a lot of children and there's a lot of consorts. So there were quite a lot of names to choose from. That was what I made a video for. I actually made it for the press release of here is a list of candidates you can choose from. If you find some others, submit those as well. So people did find some other names, like for example, a, an after-school club that's all about astronomy in Cornwall. They submitted the name Pandia because that's one of the uh, children of Zeus as well. So that name got accepted. Yeah. Um... I, I had a look at, is it the Twitter account of the IAU? Yes. Sort of said, you know, here are all the winners, uh, I think. So this, uh, your channel was mentioned on it. It was. And, um, but also, yeah, so you're up against a primary school in Cornwall. Yeah, I do. Like when, when they were like, that, I, I found out, oh, this is great. I've actually named a moon of Jupiter. This is fantastic. And then I looked at some of the others and like, oh, and this four-year-old is also getting credit. And this, this school is getting credit. It did kind of make me feel that, uh, I've entered a competition for children and I've absolutely destroyed them. <laughs> like the episode of The Simpsons with Frank Grimes, when they're just like, oh, he's entering a competition for children. Yeah, and he beat their brains out. That's it, yeah. But I think, to be fair, uh, you did do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. uh, into, I don't know how much research. Uh, it, it took me a long time, actually, of just pouring through family trees, mythology, and just finding suitable candidates. I didn't do a good enough job because they found lots of names that I didn't as well. So just goes to show you how busy Zeus was and just how expansive Greek mythology and Roman mythology is. Did you ever think that when you got your physics degree, one, you'd name a moon, and two, 
that your requirements to do that would be nothing to do with physics, really, just tracing family trees like <laughs> of Greek mythologies. So not even real people. You can't even go to Ancestry.com. Uh, it's just because <laughs> you're not going to get Zeus's birth certificate. That's true. Uh, no, I didn't think that I'd, I'd be able to name a moon at all. Like this is like genuinely quite quite an honour. Like I feel that I've peaked. Yeah, right. <laughs> the next step it's all downhill from here. Yeah, uh, what the next step after this would be actually be involved in discovering a moon. I think that would be fantastic. And I, I'm well, I'm going to reach out to Scott Shepard, the guy who discovered these moons, and ask him next time you're planning on spotting some moons, can I come along? Well, yeah, I think they're genuinely interested as well. And we've got a thing later on, astrophotographers and how yeah. you discover moons. So we'll presumably come on to that, or it depends how quickly you edit yeah. this, because then it could be the next article. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in like, how do you discover moons? Because like, I wander outside, I look up at the sky and I see the moon, which I'm pretty sure has been discovered. It has. Uh, ever since things had eyes, <laughs> right. it's been discovered. Or not even that, I guess. Anything that has photosynthetic cells will have felt the moonlight. So, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a whole topic for another podcast of how to discover a moon. But, yeah, yeah. stay tuned for what is astrophotography. There are water bears on the moon, Andy. True or false? True. How long have they... <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> people are going to be... Oh, what? He's, he's tripping. The power's no, gone to his head. Yes, no. But How long have they been there? Uh, they've been there a couple of months now, since the, since the 11th of April. They were on board the Israeli spacecraft that was an accidental impactor on the moon. By accidental impactor, I mean it was meant to do a soft landing, which turned into a full-on crash. Right, well... You can't trust the water bears to um, no. drive it properly. No, mostly because they don't have eyes, hands, or a sense of direction. So I'm like really tempted just to end the article here, because okay. technically what we've said is true. Yes. There are genuinely water bears on the moon. Well, w water bears is a colloquial term for tardigrades, which is their official title. I think that's the, the, the name of the actual species. Uh, water bears, also known as moss piglets. If you see them under a microscope, they are absolutely adorable. They have these like little hands and they just look like big, chunky walruses. But of course it's under a microscope, so they're, they're, they look big, but they're actually... Uh, you would actually be able to see them in, with your eye because they're between 0.3 and 0.5 of a millimetre. So about half a millimetre in size. So if you, you had some on the paper in front of you, you'd be able to actually see those little specks as tardigrades. Oh, cool. Right. So that's the first thing is to sort of bring it back down to reality. Because uh, when I read the article, it's like water bears on the moon. I was imagining like a Care Bear thing <laughs> <laughs> um, with like a watering can or something wandering around doing some gardening or something. Filling up the craters. Yeah, that's it. Um, this would make a lovely pond. Yeah. So it's one of those things where actually the name is misleading. Uh, so it's just some mites, not just mites but as in they're, they're, they're small. Well, they're, they're quite special because they're, they, they have a reputation for being indestructible. They're essentially the Captain Scarlet of sea monkeys. They're indestructible, in, in inverted commas, of course, because they can survive incredibly harsh conditions. You, uh, I think it's animate them, reanimate them, deanimate them. What's the phrase? Uh, reanimate, I guess. Well, that's bringing them back to life. Oh. You, can, you can basically hibernate these water bears and they massively reduce their metabolism to, I think, 0.1% or 0.01% of what it actually is. They can survive radiation, ridiculously uh, sub-zero temperatures. They can survive vacuums. Um, but what you need to do is once they've 
to bring them out of this hibernated state, you basically put them in warm water, like sea monkeys, bringing them back to life, basically. So you reanimate them. So what has happened is some idiot put tardigrades on this Israeli spacecraft as part of some kind of like human backup mission, like backing up a hard drive. It's part of this organization called the Arch Mission where they want to have a backup of mankind. So they put all this data, all these uh, books, all this, uh, like some human DNA samples as well. They put all this on a disc and they put it on the Israeli uh, spacecraft, went off to the moon, it crashed into the moon and it turns out there were some tardigrades on there. So the tardigrades have been spilled onto the moon's surface. And the question is, will they survive? Well, they can survive the vacuum. They can survive the sub-zero temperatures. It's just a case of bringing them back and putting them in warm water because there's no warm water on the moon. So, okay, so we're not going to see like a little colony or, or the moon sort of gradually becoming industrialized as they... Um... No. <laughs> I mean, okay, there's a bit between, you know, <laughs> basic life forms and, uh, you know, spinning Jenny cotton mills. Yeah, it's not going to be like a Twilight Zone-esque. No. Oh, bacteria has now evolved arms and now it's going to grow up into a whole civilization. No, it's not, not going to be like that. It's highly unlikely that these tardigrades could survive. I mean, you'd need to have an impact nearby from a little comet that has water on it that happens to have liquid water at a temperature to reanimate them, it's not going to happen. So are they actually inside the capsule as well? Or have they kind of got out and are just lying dormant on the surface? I think they are... I think they're apparently dormant on the surface. I think that they did some modelling on the actual impact and that the the capsule or the disc or whatever it was that they were on might have been actually flung from it. So they might actually be on the surface and it's still intact. I don't think they're buried in the rubble. I think they're actually on the surface. Right. Is this legal? Because, um, you know, uh, there are certain islands that are, like, protected um, yes. where you can't go. And if you go, you have to bio... Uh, sort of wash all the bacteria off your feet and or shoes and yeah. stuff like that. So uh, did, they, did they get permission from whoever runs the moon or because <laughs> I'm guessing the moon is a sterile place and they they don't want random people having stuff uh they did not get permission uh, and by they I mean the idiot who decided to do this called Nova Spivak who is the co-founder of the Arch Mission Foundation he was being incredibly reckless and he basically thought oh it's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission and blah 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 and what he did was he put this stuff on at the last minute, told no one, and so it was up to the governing body in Florida to check through the actual makeup of this satellite that was going to the moon, or this probe that was going to the moon. So the Israeli government didn't know about it. They sent it off to Florida, who checked this craft to make sure everything was all prim and proper before they put it on the rocket that took it up to the moon. You have a checklist of, here is what is on the probe, they look at the probe and go like, yep, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. This guy didn't tell them that there were tardigrades on it. They knew they had this disc with all the backups of the books and whatnot, and, but he didn't tell them about the DNA, he didn't tell them about the tardigrades, he just put it on. And now it's got out that he did this. This is reckless. Yeah, I mean, it's, how, how bad is it in that, okay, it's been done, but if I put cane toads in Australia, 
they all start eating all the crops and so yes. on, which which has happened. Uh, if I go to one of these protected islands and I uh, launch, I don't know, a cane toad, for example, or just some sort of predator, it will start knocking yeah. out the entire ecosystem. Yes, exactly. How much damage will this actually do? So this is, the re this is the annoying thing, that humans have already contaminated the moon. There is already, like we mentioned in the previous episode, the bags of the vomit and the feces that are left on the moon from the lunar missions. And someone was saying that you could probably bring those back, you could probably actually cultivate something from those samples, meaning that bacteria has survived for that long. So humans have contaminated the moon, and while it's impossible, or damn near impossible, for these tardigrades to be reanimated, it still sets a shocking precedent. So you could basically say, oh, no harm, no foul. You're not actually going to contaminate the moon. Yeah, but what, what if other people are going to do this for missions to Mars, missions to Europa? Are they going to try to contaminate those missions? Are they going to try and sneak something aboard? Because you categorically cannot do that. We've already been to the moon and we have contaminated it in one way or another. But if this guy gets away with it, if he is not, like, finding him isn't going to do anything because he's got more money than sense, he should be banned from putting anything else in space because this sets a precedent that, oh, if you can get away with this, people might do this for Mars and contaminate the Martian surface. That's the Galilean missions around Jupiter. The reason why they decided to put Gal the satellite into Jupiter, completely destroy it, was because they didn't want that satellite to hit one of the moons, to, for it to just be floating around Jupiter and then accidentally collide with the moon in the very distant future, because that would contaminate the surface of the moon and they want to preserve it. So I'm guessing, yes, already we've already contaminated the moon. Yeah. However, there seemed to be scientific merit in that that was a byproduct of a different mission. So to land a man on the moon, they had to, you know, excrete certain bodily fluids during that mission. That was a sort of natural byproduct, but it wasn't the intended effect and there was scientific merit for putting men on the moon. Exactly. However, this what was the scientific merit of this? Oh, this was just for farts and giggles. Like, it's just basically saying, oh, I can. He claims to be, oh, it's the human backup and he wants to put these discs of all this kind of information of like books and whatnot. And it, it's an interesting concept, but it's just basically an ego project. There's already another company on the earth doing this called the Lifeboat Foundation who are trying to do a backup of everything by the human genome sequence on a disc and keeping that in a very secure place. There's the seed vault in Svalbard, which has a copy of every seed. So in the case of, a, of an apocalypse, you can go there and get the seeds back to try and regrow the plants that were wiped out in the apocalypse. <laughs> Sorry, I just... No, yeah, no, yeah, I'm just imagining that if there was an apocalypse... Oh, you know, I'm, I'm from Cheltenham, which has a certain reputation. <laughs> oh dear, there's been an apocalypse. I better go and get uh, some chrysanthemums for the garden. <laughs> there, there's a film there that the only surviving member of the apocalypse is Alan Titchmarsh <laughs> and a wisecracking robot sidekick, and they have to get to the sub-Arctic to get these seeds. There. That's our idea, listeners. You are not allowed to copy it. No, That's trademarked. 31st of August, yeah. 2019. Lunatic podcast. Copyright. So what should we call the what should we call the film? I think we should call it Gardener's End of the World. <laughs> so also this month, fake moon rock was sent to lots of YouTube influencers and tricked them. However, it wasn't sent to our podcast, was it? No, oh, I feel very jilted. <laughs> They obviously knew that we would work out that it was fake moon rock. 
uh, by fake moon rock. It was gravel. Uh, it, it was gravel. So who sent this? So it was a YouTuber called Josh Peters. I think I'm saying his name right. Josh Peters. And he basically went to the garden center, got a bit of gravel. He put it in a little container, a little vial, and printed off these fake certificates of authenticity. He printed some fake compliment sips from a real organization, by the way, which was the National Space Center. And he packaged all this up and it did look really quite official. Uh, there's a, he, he turned it into a YouTube video. I'll put a link for this in the show notes. And then he sent out this package to all these influencers saying that, hey, the 50th uh, anniversary of the lunar landings is coming up. Here is a piece of the actual moon to celebrate that. Please feel free to share this or words to that effect. So all these influencers got gravel, they thought it was a bit of the moon, and they were obviously pretty surprised. They were like, oh, hey, this is so cool. This is a piece of the moon. And I actually have a piece of the moon sat in front of me. I actually have some honest to God moon rock bought, and it is seven milligrams. It is, I would argue, probably about the size of a crumb that you get off a piece of burnt toast. Yeah, it's nowhere near gravel. It's If you look at like the nail on your little finger, it's probably about a fraction of the size of that. Yeah, grit in your eye, it's about that big. Oh, okay. so, well. Noticeable grit. Yes. It's, um, it is very, very small. Yes. So that is real moon rock. Yes, that is real moon rock. And uh, this has so, been... <laughs> firstly, just to check, how did you get it? And was it sent to you from the uh, National Space Center? It was actually bought for me as a gift. It was not sent to, it was not sent from the National Space Center, but it has been ratified by the Michi... Meteoritel? Meteoritical, yeah. Yeah. Are they real? Yeah, they're real. Okay, cool. <laughs> Meteorical. Meteorical. God, that's okay. Meteoritorical? A society in London. But the thing is, that looks fake. Like, that's just a sticker. There's no logo on it. There's no, like, certification number. The weight is written in pen. It... This... <laughs> this looks... You're not persuading me. No, but this looks fake. The only thing that you can use to actually ratify it is the code that the asteroid was given, which is NWA7986. So uh, NWA as in the rap group? Uh, no, not straight out of Compton. Um, <laughs> our, this, this moon rock is not straight out of Compton. NWA stands for Northwest Africa. Right, good. <laughs> it stands for nothing else? Nope, nothing else whatsoever. Northwest Africa 7986. That's the name of the asteroid. And you can actually just type that in and you can read all about the asteroid, where it was found, the actual weight of it, and um, how it was discovered, who discovered it, when and where. So you can track all this. And this has been ratified by certain labs. So what they'll do is they'll send it off to a lab who have, the, who have some lunar samples brought back from the Apollo missions, and they'll compare that rock to the Apollo missions and look at the chemical composition, how it looks under the microscope, whether it has basically an identical fingerprint, which it does, therefore it's from the moon. Okay, so you've done some due diligence, which... I haven't, but the people who sold this have done. You're paying for them to have done all the ratification. But as in, yeah, you've checked. The best you can do as a, an average member of the public yeah, is, is I, you've I, done some checks. It's not a piece of gravel in exactly. a box. Right. It would be quite hard for the people who received the gravel to actually check whether this was from the moon. What they could have done is reached out to the National Space Center and say, hey, I was sent this. Was this you? So they could have done a little bit of due diligence on that before actually plastering it all over the internet. 
But these influencers are influencers. They are sent so much product for free in the hopes that they get a shout out. So for them to have to check absolutely everything. <laughs> Richard's laughing because I couldn't say the phrase due diligence. And so I just said check instead. For them to have to check everything they're sent would take up a, a real amount of time. So it's just that cost time uh, way up that they're having to do. So I don't blame them for not doing the checking on it because the, the, my only grievance is that this bit of moon rock that they were sent, a chunk of gravel, probably about the size of their thumb, that would have cost tens of thousands if it were actually a meteorite. Meteorites are expensive, really expensive. Oh, right. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I, I guess the moon rock that was brought back from the Apollo missions was given out yes. to scientific labs and yes. uh, I think foreign dignitaries and each state got one or something like that. Yeah, they, they basically tied a note around it through, through the Russian <laughs> embassy being like, suck on that, Ruskies. Yeah. I, I'm sure it had a bit of a presentation box and so on um, as a goodwill gesture, but also a bit of a, so where's, where's your moon rock gift to us then? Oh, oh well. But the, yeah, these, this moon rock is obviously quite rare and yes. so therefore expensive. This, however, Northwest Africa, uh, whatever number it is. Yes, this. This, that wasn't brought back by, you know, Buzz Aldrin. Or... No, this comes from a meteorite that is from the moon. So what will have happened is a meteor will have hit the moon and the impact will have been so large that it will have sent chunks of moon rock into space. And some of that moon rock will be orbiting the sun, some of it will be sent God knows where. Some of it, however, will actually come through the Earth's atmosphere, go into the ocean, go into the desert, and in this case, go into Northwest Africa. So, it's a piece of the moon that came from an explosion on the moon, got to Earth. That's how we have this moon rock here. Okay, because I was just wondering, because a load, I was looking at this, uh, a load of the actual moon rocks brought back by um, NASA have been stolen. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just saying, are you handling stolen goods here, Andy? <laughs> um, just, just checking. No, That's... no, I, no shifty eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Uh, so that, that explains that one. And the other thing I want to know is, has it all ended well? I think it has, because... Uh, the, the guy said that I'm sorry for pulling the prank on the influencers and he said I hope this has generated some positive press for the National Space Centre and it actually has because they have said anyone who was caught up in the hoax can contact us and actually come and handle some real moon rocks and this will probably be the moon rocks that the public aren't allowed to touch So the, and they'll come and film it so it, this is some like nice public outreach. The guy got his YouTube views and he got his ad revenue from it. There's been some STEM outreach, whatever you want to call it. So I think it has all ended positively. So as the premier moon-based podcast, uh, did you get an invite to the National Space Centre? Uh, I did not. I just got to name some poxy rocks orbiting Jupiter instead. Oh dear. I will send you some fake moon rock. Please do. As though it was from the National Space Centre. And then uh, you can say, oh, I was, I was um, had up. Can I handle some moon rock? Please don't send it in brick form through the windows with the compliment slip tied around it. I need the security deposit back on this place. So, uh, yeah, fake moon rock sent to influencers, which apparently we are not. We influence no one. What's that noise, Andy? New moons! 
That is the sound of the new moon siren because there's been a new moon discovered in the solar system. Wow, that's, uh, I, I can't believe you had this installed in your flat. Have you told the landlord? No, no, he, he doesn't know. We, we just put a big blanket over it when he comes round. <laughs> so a newly discovered moon. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, a new moon or a tiny little moon has been discovered orbiting the comet of 67P Churumov-Garasimenko. Oh, cool. That um, catchy name. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit of a mouthful, so let's just call it 67P from now on. Yeah, so um, representing the average member of the public on the podcast, okay. where's this comet and why has it got a moon? Only planets can have moons. Well, not, not necessarily. Uh, we actually talked about this last podcast, that asteroids can have moons. Remember Edo with the little moon dactyl? Uh, I do, yes, but... There might be people who didn't listen to podcast one. Okay, well. Who are ignorant and think only planets can have moons. Well, Pluto is no longer a planet and that's got five moons. Fair one. You've persuaded me. Good. I'm, I'm glad that it was that easy to do. Don't walk past the Scientology Centre. Right. So, uh, th this comet called 67P? Yes. Where is it? It orbits between Jupiter and Earth. So, it gets... It gets as close to Earth between Earth and Mars, so that's the closest point, and then it goes back out to the orbit of Jupiter. It'll make its next perigee in the year 2021, so that's when it's going to be closest to Earth. And this comet has a tiny little moon around it, and it's been dubbed the Churi Moon because after Churimov Garasimenko, Churi Moon, which is just a beautiful little name. That is a very cute name. Uh, obviously, uh, is that an approved name by the IAU? No. And now you're an expert, obviously. Yeah, well, yes. Just <laughs> let me dust my shoulders off here. Um, it is a nickname. Um, it's one that's been banded around Twitter a few times, but it's an adorable little name. These, these photos were taken in 2004 between 2014 2016 and it was some guy called uh Jacinta Roger I think uh, it, I'm probably uh butchering that name I do apologize uh he is Spanish so would that be Jacint uh, possibly I do apologize if I've said your name wrong uh he was plowing through some of the old photos taken taken by the Rosetta missions he was probably actually processing processing these raw images uh, this is what you wanted to know before about astrophotography. That was it, yes. How, so he was going through old photos and he spotted a moon. So this is actually how moons sometimes do get discovered. There's a guy, an astronomer called Mark Showalter, who is looking through some of the old Voyager data. Voyager having gone past Neptune and took some photos of it. And he was plowing through some of the old photos and processing the data and treating the images to just to make them clear, looking at them through different filters. And he discovered a tiny moon called Hippocamp, which is one of the closer inner moons of Neptune. So this is what some people known as astrophotographers will do. They'll take all the raw data from the missions because it's all publicly available. You can download it in huge files and go through it and process it and apply codes to them and treat them and filter and it, you might find a moon. This is exactly what Yasin Roger has done. He was processing these images taken by the Rosetta missions of 67P and discovered a tiny little moon, Churi Moon. Fantastic. Yeah, I was uh, looking at the notes here. It's four metres across. Yeah, so it'll fit in this kitchen. <laughs> by kitchen, do you mean expert recording studio that we rent at £200 an hour? Yeah, we're that important, we're that influential. <laughs> Where's our gravel? <laughs> Don't even get sent gravel. <laughs> so yeah, four metres across, really? Yeah. Is that, is that a moon? 
Well... Not to reignite the uh, what's a moon debate from last episode. Well, it's visible in comparison to the parent object because 67p is 4 by 3 by 2 kilometres in dimensions, roughly speaking. From a distance where you have the whole thing in the shot, you can clearly see this moon orbiting it. And it's also in a stable orbit as well because it went round uh, the moon once. It went through what is known as the comma, which is the tail of a comet. So it went through that and it's still retained in the orbit. So it's in a stable orbit. We'll see if it's still there when the uh, comet comes back in 2021. Oh, cool. So to discover the moon, do you have to like get multiple pictures of it in different phases of its cycle yeah because it's, it's not just like a passing rock uh yeah that, that that's a good way of putting it actually because there are some moons known as lost moons jupiter has several lost moons which are recovered what will happen is someone will spot something that looks like a moon they'll be able to track its trajectory and then they're like right we have calculated where it should be at this point They'll look at it at that point, and if the moon is there, then they're correct. Therefore, the moon has essentially been confirmed. It's basically getting someone to check your code, like code reviewing. So it's like, I did this, here is the stuff, you go and verify this for me, and someone else will look at it and go, yep, I found the moon based on that trajectory. So what will happen is you'll get lost moons. So this a moon will be discovered, a few years will pass, and you're like, right, let's see if it's still there. Let's look at the trajectory. Oh no, it's not there. It's been lost. Because the sun can actually pull moons out of their orbits. This has happened a few times, actually, where the sun's gravitational effect is so big, even for distant planets like Neptune and Uranus, the moons are actually pulled out of the orbit. That's harsh. It um. is. It is a bit. Like, they're pulled out to a point where they're not on the trajectory they were initially. They're still orbiting the planet, but they're just not where they were, so they've been lost. Okay, it's not like they've been sucked into the sun. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> not that bad. Well, the sun could do that. It could, like, get any one of us. <laughs> there isn't just, like, a meteor shower of moons swinging past Earth as they're heading towards the sun. This is one of the things where I kind of did the podcast, because just for people who don't know, uh, me and Andy went to the pub. We went to the pub many times, and Andy talks about moons a lot. And I said, well, there's one up there. I can see it. There's two around Mars. I know that because it was in Doom. Yes. Uh, we've established that. But every sort of month there was new moons and stuff going on. And I was like, okay, this is quite a dynamic like area. Yeah. It, uh, so, yeah, uh, there, there's genuinely a new moon discovered. So that's cool. Yeah, let's, let's hope it's still there in three or four years when we take more photos of 67P when it gets close to Earth. Cool. So new moon alert. So if you can all go to your moon totalizers and add it by one. So, local moon news. Uh, what's our local moon doing now? What moon is it this month, Andy? Uh, it is the Super Black Dispute Moon. I disagree. <laughs> so, if you remember last podcast, we talked about the Black Moon, which was happening in America. It's now actually happening in the UK this month. So we get two new moons in a month, which is quite rare. So if you look in the sky and you don't see a moon for two nights this month, that's why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let, let, let. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Uh, and if you're listening in Australia, there's going to be a black moon for you guys in October. And in India, I think that's next month. As in the moon is next month or India the, have a different calendar? As in the black moon will be next month for them. 
Okay, cool. So we discussed black moons last time, and also super black moons last yes. time. Dispute moon. What's a dispute moon? Well, the dispute moon is a mythological kind of term that's applied to it. So uh, you'll see the mostly the express in the UK will say, oh, this is a flower moon. This is a corn moon. This is a river red blue moon kind of thing. And it's basically named after it'll be from Native American culture or it'll be in this case, it'll be from Celtic culture. So it's kind of like a law of so if it's a full moon in this month, it's called X or Y. So in this case, it's called a dispute moon according to Celtic culture. Um why is the answer because i know like a corn moon kind of happens when corn grows or yeah. you know a sparrow moon is when sparrows rock up because uh, they generally do every month so in celtic culture did they have disputes like in one month a year this this is what i uh, i couldn't find an answer so i turned to some of my friends who were really into this stuff and they they came up with a few reasons as to why they could be called a dispute moon so one is that families would often marry in august and arguments would start in august about the marriage and whom and what dowries are owed and whatnot so <laughs> hooray you got married then the in-laws start basically arguing with each other when did you get married <laughs> got married in june okay oh we can't fight in july it's a sparrow moon we will <laughs> we will wait till august as is tradition yes as celts the uh the other reason is that apparently there's lots of grain and there's still a lot of sunshine in august and the days are getting shorter so there's lots to do less light to do it in you're getting a bit worked up, you're getting a bit annoyed, therefore that leads to disputes. So if you're feeling a bit annoyed because of all this work you gotta do in less time than you had before, that's gonna lead to disputes, hence dispute moon. Interesting that, that okay, you might say that this doesn't transfer to the modern day because we don't generally grow corn, uh, the majority of the population, but in my office, loads of people have like gone away on holiday in August Yeah. and just getting anything done is annoying yeah. so I, I yeah it still works yeah it does uh do, do you think that's because of the school holidays yes okay <laughs> which is basically school holidays uh and people with kids uh taking their kids away because if they take them away during term time the school finds them and gives the parents lines yes yeah they do but often it's worth taking the fine so the holiday plus the fine is still cheaper than having to go away during term time. Have you seen the Centre Parks website? No. It's brilliant because it's just like, I don't know when the kids go back to school and you look at booking a chalet and it's just 1,500 in one week and the next week it goes down to 350. Oh, right. So, yeah. Yeah, you're like, well, when do the kids go back? Oh, I think it's then. Uh, any other reasons why it might be a dispute, Moon? Yes. Uh, and they said, this is a bit of a stretch, but... Uh, there's a Gaelic festival in August, Lugnasa, and part of it is that all legal disputes were solved then. So that, I think that actually has some credence to it. If legal disputes are settled in August as part of a Gaelic festival, which I think, considering the Celts spoke Gaelic, that's a good reason for a dispute, Moom. That's a good reason. I'm kind of imagining festivals have changed somewhat. If you go to Glastonbury, you don't... <laughs> Is there a, like a legal dispute tent? Yeah, the, yeah, it's right next to the divorce stage. Yeah, <laughs> cold player playing, and you're just like having a you know inheritance <laughs> battle argument or something. I think they should bring back dispute tents at Glastonbury. 
<laughs> but you just have to go and get your legal disputes done. Um, or you could do it at the Reading Festival or, you know, V or whatever. Any local festival you can take. Any it, would, it would stop, like, court cases going on. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and then once you finish, you can, like, oh, okay, I didn't win that, but, oh, cold player on. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we've got some time to kill before the headliners come on. Let's go jeer at some people in the dispute tent. But yeah, people in the dispute tent throwing beer bottles at, uh, <laughs> at judges. Why would you like a divorce? Well, she did cheat on me. Boo! And then all the cups full of pee just come cascading down on the accused party. Yeah. Just recreated Jeremy Kyle, basically. Oh, no, I, I immediately retract this statement then. I don't <laughs> want anything like Jeremy Kyle on television anymore. <laughs> or at Leeds or Reading. Uh, the final point as to why it might be called a dispute moon, which I think this is also quite valid, is that, that when temperatures get higher, so do tempers. And you're more likely to have an argument if you have if your temper is enraged. So that's why it might be called a dispute moon, because August is the hottest month temperatures are high, you're annoyed, you're going to argue. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And the Celts were actually famous for not having air conditioning. <laughs> Whereas those Romans, those Romans had plenty of air con. That's it, you know. Um, I went to a Celtic settlement as part of like school because um, we had to do that in the UK, uh, is go to school. And we went to the Celts and they had all the sort of this Celtic recreation village. Not one of them had an air conditioning unit. Fact. Well, it's well, not fake news, you can check that. Well, actually, where I grew up, um, there's a, a hill called Molagaya. Right on the top is a Celtic settlement. And um, top of a mountain's pretty good for aircon. <laughs> not during the winter, you can't turn it off. Yeah. And I can tell you where it was pretty bloody cold in winter. Uh, so, uh, if anyone asks you in the office, what moon is it this month? It's a super black dispute moon. If you are being half scientific, with the super black bit and uh, a bit Celtic with the dispute bit. And feel free to argue about it as well. So, in should we do an update of very local moon news? Yes, we've had the local moon. What's even more local -er than the local moon? So last week we looked at Moon Wisconsin. Now we're going to look at Moon Pennsylvania, where they are celebrating the grand opening of a new playground. Ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, they do need one. They do. They've just been standing around an empty field with their children crying. They've been just pushing them over, wishing, <laughs> <laughs> wishing there was a swing there. Go and get on the roundabout. And they just stand there and not going round at all. It's it, a very, very sad situation. Very sad. So Moon Parks and Recreation, what a name. A delightful little playground and it's going to be it has a toddler area for those between ages two and five, and another area for five to 12 year olds. 13 year olds, out of the question. You've got to go sit at home on your phones sulking. The moon does not like you, 13 year olds. Yeah. You're, you're past it. <laughs> uh, I, I really like doing these little, very local moon news updates, and I'm happy that Moon, Pennsylvania has a new playground. Brilliant news, it just cheers you up. It does. Do, 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 you, do you feel happier for knowing this? I do. It's a facility I'll never use or contribute to. <laughs> Last podcast, we said, we'll look at everything wrong with Moonraker. And having now watched Moonraker, I could tell you there is an awful lot wrong with Moonraker. 
I think we've made the executive decision not to talk about everything that's wrong with Moonraker because we made so many notes. And the thing is, it wasn't like what's wrong with it from a cinematic point of view or narrative. It was genuinely where are the scientific errors. Yeah. And there were just so many. I was expecting like, you know, a few scientific errors. Yeah. But there was just so many, it was, okay, uh, we might have to stretch this out over, uh, I don't know, about 60 podcasts. Yeah, like, I think this is just going to be a returning feature. So let's just, let's lay some groundwork here. What did you think of Moonraker as a film? Did you enjoy it? Uh, I did, in that I remember as a kid watching it. Yeah. And it, I liked James Bond as a kid, and... It had great stunts, and I wanted to be James Bond. So, in and it was just a nostalgia trip. Yeah. However, as an adult watching this, if it had just come out of the blue and I'd never seen it before, it was uh, rubbish. Yes. Well, it was a, li- a list of uh, sort of it was a list of stunts chucked together with little plot. Yeah. And the plot didn't make sense. The plot made zero sense. I credit where credit is due. It was great to see some actual honest to god stunts. Like the the bit at the beginning with the skydiving, wrestling in the sky, that's brilliant as a stunt. But yes, the plot made no sense. The rampant like sexism and racism and just general misogyny and oh, the British Empire is so brilliant. That's all uh, product of the time. But it's it was still made two years after Star Wars. So this is seventy nine. It came out. Yeah. It was bad in that sense. It was good in terms of special effects for the time. Uh, yes. I did. Instead of watching Moonraker, I'd recommend people watch the Moonraker documentary. Okay. Because uh, that's, that's, that was a bit more interesting, I found. However, uh, yeah, I did find... Go into it expecting, like, there to be three scenes or something where it's like, oh, hang on, the science doesn't quite work there. Yeah. Um, but it was just amazing. Like, every few minutes, I was just right. no, hang on, that's not true. Yeah, pause, write a note. Yeah. There is a test you can do with a Bond film, and that is, if you can hum the theme for, the Bond, for that Bond film, then it's going to be a good film. For example, Skyfall has a brilliant song to it. Quantum of Solace couldn't even tell you what the chorus was. So, can you remember the theme to Moonraker? Uh, I was going to sing Moonraker, <laughs> but that's not the theme. So, yeah, no, that's Goldfinger. Yeah, that is Goldfinger. And actually, we <laughs> hang on. You can pretty much map any Bond name onto, especially the early Bond names, onto Goldfinger. So, like, Doctor No. He's the doctor who always tells you no. no. <laughs> <laughs> There's... Thunderball, it's a ball, a ball made of thunder. (laughs) On Her Majesty's Secret Service, maybe that's a stretch. Live and let die, we'll let you live, but maybe we'll let you die. (laughs) Octopussy, it's a pussy (laughs) from an octopus. (laughs) flawless flawless it it works perfectly but yes moonraker forgettable theme and the plot was forgettable the film was memorable but for all the wrong reasons my takeaway grievance is that for a film called moonraker they don't actually go to the moon no 
And the moon is featured in it twice. Once when they're in Venice in the background and the other time when they actually get into space an hour and 30 minutes into the film, they see the moon in the background. They don't actually go to the moon. Yeah, uh, well, they've got a shuttle called Moonraker. They do. I mean, they could have equally have named it Jurassic Park or, you know, <laughs> you know flipping uh, space shuttle, I know what you did last summer. And it could have just been anything. That was the, the plot fix of why it was called Moonraker. Yeah. Do you know the local tale of where Moonraker comes from? I do not. Uh, so Moonraker is a, uh, a nickname for someone from Wiltshire. Really? Yes. Why? Because, uh, and I've heard this from a few different sources, but Wikipedia says it, so it must be true. Oh, yeah. Um, is that there, there was a story of some people smuggling and they hid their goods in a local pond. And they were trying to get the, uh, the goods out using rakes. And then customs and excise caught them. And they, they said, so what you do? You're smugglers. And they said, no, no, uh, we, we heard the moon is made of cheese. We're, uh, we're just, because uh, there's a reflection of the moon in the pond and we're just raking up the cheese. And then the customs and excise thought they are just absolute idiots and just wandered <laughs> off and, and leaving them to take all the goods and, uh, that they'd stolen or smuggled. So uh, it was a sort of slur or a, a colloquialism to imply that everyone from Wiltshire was a smuggler. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So we, we did promise the listeners we talk about everything wrong with Moonraker. Shall we at least talk in a scientific sense about one thing wrong with Moonraker? Yeah, so if we go through, and this is scientifically wrong, so we're not going to talk about, you know, plot or anything unless there's something sort of objectively wrong, not yeah. subjectively wrong. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't have done that camera angle or mm. there was a flag up in this scene and then cut and it's down. Yeah, there's not going to be nitpicking. Not, not that sort of thing. So uh, going in chronological order, the first thing was um, the opening scene has a plane transporting a space shuttle. Yes. I thought, oh, that's stupid. You wouldn't use a plane to transport a space shuttle. That wouldn't work. But actually... Yeah, you do. Like, that's how they get shuttles from A to B. It's how NASA transported their shuttles around the country, because they weren't built at the site. They're built elsewhere in, like, an engineering... Back, uh, they're built at a facility elsewhere, and then they're shipped across the country to uh, Cape Canaveral, where they were launched from. So they were put on the back of planes. And I remember as a kid just seeing a shuttle on the back of a plane, like pictures of, not in person. But it looked phenomenal. So that is pretty accurate of how you would transport a shuttle, very much like how the Beluga plane transports the wings. Uh, what's, sorry, what's the Beluga plane? Uh, the Beluga plane, it, it, it's a, a massive plane that Airbus owns, and it's got like this bulbous head, and it looks like a Beluga whale, and it's got the bulbous head to account for the wings inside it. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I thought this was a bit odd. So I, I was a bit corrected. Well, I was corrected there in that they do use planes to tra transport shuttles. Yes. However, one of the lines was, oh, you can depend on the RAF to transport shuttles. And it's like, well, no, you can't. Uh, I'm guessing these are specialist planes. Yes. They're not like, the RAF would not have that capability. It's an industrial thing. Yeah, because the RAF like, is presumably always underfunded. Uh, uh, they, yes. They, and the military need to transport space shuttles is very, very low in the UK. So what I imagine they would have done in that case is actually said, oh, we'll contract this industrial, this, this industry that has these shuttle carrying planes, we'll just hire one. Yeah, so the RAF wouldn't have a space shuttle transporting plane on hand. It's highly unlikely. Yeah, uh, it's a very, very niche. So that was the first thing. 
Next thing is uh, two people on the plane on the shuttle then steal it yes. uh, by launching it off into space. So a few things wrong with this. Yes, there are. One, it's very inadvisable that if you have a rocket on the back of a plane that you fill it full of fuel. One, that's a massive fire hazard because if the fuel ignites, you basically have a big bomb on your plane. Two, the fuel weighs a lot. Um, the heavier the item is that you're carrying, the more fuel the carrier is going to use. So that means your carrying plane has to be has to have even more fuel, which is expensive, and also weighs down that plane as well. So you would basically just have the empty shuttle on the back, no fuel in it whatsoever, because that's easier to carry and cheaper to fuel the carrying plane. Second of all, two men are hidden on the shuttle. You would notice that when you put the shuttle on the plane, they will say, oh, how much is the shuttle? Oh, it weighs two tons. And it's like, right, okay, we've put the shuttle on the plane, but before we did that, we weighed it, and it was 2.1 tons, or 2.01 tons. We didn't account for that in our fuel, so therefore, go on board and check out this discrepancy. Yeah, so it would be 2.1 tons, because it, it, a bloke is, let's say, 50 kilograms. Well, they're, they're big guys. Let's say 100 kilograms each. each. So they're 200 kilograms. So that's two, uh, and a ton is... A thousand a, a, kilograms. A thousand kilograms. So that's 2.2. They're like 10% over. I could, I could tell you now a rocket, uh, a shuttle would weigh more than two tons. Oh, so okay. I'm a bit off there. But if you're looking at 0.2 of a ton, you would absolutely notice that because you need to calculate the fuel reserves on the carrying plane down to, like, down to the litre. Yeah. So, okay, I didn't spot that one. Uh, that's that's pretty niche spot from a... Obviously, you're a phys I'm a computer scientist, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't spot that, but uh, obviously your aeronautical engineering uh, got that one. I'm also really tight with petrol, so... <laughs> <laughs> so they would have spotted the two guys on it. Anyway, then the two guys got in and started basically launching procedures on this shuttle that's on top of a plane. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure that that wouldn't work. Just even initiating the procedures, because I'm guessing there's... Well, shuttles, to launch a shuttle into space, you attach it to a rocket. Ah, but that's to escape the Earth's gravitational pull. Yeah. That's to get you above the atmosphere. The, the shuttles themselves do a fuel on, because they've got to get back, back into the Earth's atmosphere, because you've got to get through the atmosphere, so you have thrust on the shuttle to actually push you down. Yeah, so, but if I'm on a shuttle, on a plane, for some reason that's fueled, yeah. would that have enough fuel to get me outside the atmosphere? It's at the heights it's at, probably, but the real issue is that you're buckled to the plane beneath you. You need enough thrust to break the thing that's holding the shuttle to the plane. So what would happen is they'd fire the thrusters and it would basically just plummet the both of them down into the ground. <laughs> it would, because it hasn't got enough thrust to carry both plane and shuttle up into the atmosphere. So it would basically carry them forward very quickly, at which point they'd start to take a nosedive and then just plow it straight into the ground. Why, why would it take a nosedive as opposed to go up? Well, because you've got gravity pulling you down. So if imagine like if you throw a ball horizontally as fast as you can, it just goes down eventually over time because of the gravity pulling it down. Planes can go upwards. If I, if I put a plane and just stop its engines, it will just fall. And it's the forward motion that makes it go up. Yes. So if I put even more forward motion into it, doesn't it not go up faster? 
I think that I don't think it would. I think there is too much weight on it that would actually drag it down. Oh, okay. That's a bit of an educated guess. I'm, I might be wrong. I probably will be wrong on this, but I it wouldn't escape the Earth's atmosphere with the plane buckled to the actual shuttle. Okay, cool. So, yeah, even just like the opening few minutes of the film, you'd notice the fuel in the rocket. You'd notice the two men in the rocket. And if you did try to escape, you'd take the plane with you. And the RAF really don't need a shuttle transporting plane because Britain doesn't really have any shuttles. No, no, they don't. <laughs> so they've just built this shuttle transporting plane so they can transport American planes. Yeah, exactly. So it's a colossal waste of money. And also if they're just being quite cavalier of, oh yeah, go ahead, put your rocket on our plane. Uh, do you want to weigh it first? Nah, it's fine. Just don't try and take off mid-flight. So, uh, so we've done two minutes worth of Moonraker. Uh, yeah. Join us next time for the next uh, two minutes. Or, if we find a better topic, we might talk about that. <laughs> yeah, in the meantime, try and remember the theme for Moonraker. And I will sit here nice and smug for the next few weeks, glowing in the fact that I actually got to name some moons. Hey, that could actually work as, as a Bond theme. Moon Neighbor, he's the man, the man.